Our friends, the Lord be with you and also with you. Uh, let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, as we gather together in church this evening around your word, we humbly pray that your spirit will teach us to take your word to our hearts. And Father, now I pray that as I speak, please help me to speak clearly and truly. And we pray all these in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Once again, good evening, uh, friends, and uh, welcome to church as we gather together around God's Word uh, for, for a time of corporate worship. And you might recall, for those who are regular with us, that over the past few weeks, we have been discussing the book of Ecclesiastes. And today we are looking at chapter 9, verse 13, uh, to the end of chapter 10, uh, which you can find beginning on page 667 of the Church Bible. And there is also a guide which may be helpful for navigating or helping us uh, navigate through this passage at the center of the bulletin. But I want to begin by asking whether we uh, all remember the main theme of uh, Dean Andrews' talk last week on the, on the previous verses of chapter 9. Let me remind us, Andrew said last week that everyone, everybody dies. I think that if you look back at the uh, uh, verse 9, uh, verse 2 of chapter 9, it probably summarizes this uh, idea best by saying that it is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil, and to the clean and the unclean, as the good one is, so is the sinner. Our friends, death. Death is a common theme throughout Ecclesiastes. As we read Ecclesiastes, the King Solomon keeps talking about death. And when he talks about death, he talks about the vanity of life here on earth. If this life is all there is, then everything is a vanity, is vapor. Solomon, the writer of this book, who calls himself the preacher, even says in a previous chapter, chapter 3, verses 19 to 20, that man is no different from beasts. For just as one dies, so does the beast. And they all have the same breath, and all go to the same place. All are from dust, and to dust all must return. So friends, if this life is all there is, do we really need to choose how to live? Well, in our passage this evening, the preacher observes that there is a wise way and a foolish way to live. And he points us to three major areas of our lives. Of course, there are many, many areas of our lives that the preacher is not touching on, but he touches on three major areas in this passage. Firstly, how to live with those in power, especially if they are foolish uh, rulers. And secondly, how to work wisely. And thirdly, how to keep watch over our thanks. Turn with me to page 667 as we enter, as we begin firstly then, uh, to consider the subject living and foolish rulers. And the preacher begins by telling us about his experience of a small and powerless city that faces the mighty resources of an enemy king who had placed it under siege. Now, what can the city do? 
you might ask. You can't possibly fight the king because they don't have the resources to do so. And to stay inside the city is to die of hunger and thirst. So in bad English, uh, we can say, sure die if they go out and fight. Sure die if they stay inside the city. But listen to what uh, Solomon says in verse 15. But there was found in it a poor wise man. Now Solomon doesn't tell us what city or what king or what poor man or what advice the poor man gave. He just simply tells us that this insignificant man's advice saved the city. But listen to what he says at the end of the verse, 15. Yet, no one remembered that poor man. Now friends, as we read this, we don't have to go very far in Kuala Lumpur to see roads and buildings that were named after the rich and the famous and the great people of the past. But the the preacher said, no one did any of these things for the man who had saved them. They did not remember him. They did not put up a memorial for him. How sad. It seems, in fact, that after the city was saved, no one listens to him anymore. This poor old man may be saying good advice, but no one listens to him anymore. Those who have the power, those who have the say, do not want to continue to listen to him once the immediate danger is over. But still, the preacher says, the preacher recommends for us that a life of wisdom is much better than expecting rewards of power or prestige or a memorial erected to us. And looking at how, how some of our roads have changed names over the, the past decades, the preacher was probably very right. We don't have to do things so that we would be recognized or remembered or we don't uh, expect that memorials be put up because we did something great uh, for the city. In fact, we can't even sit on our laurels expecting that what we say from then on will be accepted and followed. The preacher says, oh, that is vanity, vanity. Because what happened? You will be ignored. Roads will change names, just as anybody else. Roads will change names as power changes hands. And in the end, no one is remembered. Still, it proves one thing. The preacher says in verses 17 to the first part of verse 18, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools, and wisdom is better than weapons of war. In the same context then, he pulls our attention back to thinking about wisdom, living a life of wisdom, is better than the bluster of an incompetent ruler uh, when he speaks among his equally incompetent and foolish yes men. When he say yes, they say yes. When he say no, they say no. Next day, the same thing, no, become yes. He's, they also follow and say yes. He says wisdom is better than the bluster of an incompetent ruler. And this wisdom of the, uh, the poor old man, the poor insignificant man has overcome the mighty military strength of the king who has come against them. Though Solomon warns in the last bit of verse 18, if he was still thinking about that same ruler, he says that while the wisdom of the poor man has overcome the military power of the attacking king, the attacking king it would have indeed been a disaster if the city had followed the foolish ranting of the city's, of the foolish ranting of the city's ruler, one whom he called a sinner. He says this at the end of verse 18, but one sinner destroys much good. If the king's advice has been taken, 
the city would probably have fallen. But uh, praise be to God, they followed the advice of the poor man and saved the city. He continues this train of thought in the next chapter. In verse 1, he went on to describe the harm that even a little folly, a little folly can cause. A dead fly that falls into perfume will cause the perfume to smell terribly. But for us in Kuala Lumpur, friends, I think it is more uh, likely that a fly would fall and drop into our plate of delicious chili crabs. Now, if we add that without noticing that the, 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 the fly has fallen in, then we will get a terrible tummy ache and the sting of our misery would most possibly come a bit later after eating it. Yes, friends, a little folly can cause a lot of harm. So the preacher said, choose to live wisely. And not only that, the fools can be known by their actions also, not just by their speech. The preacher illustrates this in, 10, in verse 4. From his own personal observation, he has seen the world, the world turned topsy-turvy or upside down by a foolish ruler. He says this, notice how he calls it an evil under the sun. It is that bad as the, as the preacher saw it. The incompetent are given high places of authority. And again, friends, we do not have to look far as this is a very prevalent uh, behavior all over the world, as meritocracy becomes a bad word. Politics and race and color and social status and religion, among other things, become the criteria of selection for people into important and powerful posts. And in this topsy-turvy world, the preacher sees other privileges being given to those who go along with the foolish ruler. He describes these as slaves riding horses while princes walk on the dusty ground. And friends, this paints a picture for us as we can very easily uh, relate to how the powerful, the powerful people in positions uh, that will much authority can misuse the national resources to the detriment of the nation itself. But still, the preacher teaches that the wise way of living is to stay calm and patient even when you see such things happening. And we see this and when he speaks uh, about this in, at the end of verse 4. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. And now the preacher uh, moves on to the second point about living and foolish labor. He, he illustrates this with some examples. In, in the first part of verse 8, he says, He who digs a pit will fall into it. And you can see occasionally on National Geographic, even now, how indigenous people living in remote areas of the world uh, can um, think about ways to trap wild animals. And one of the ways is that they would dig a hole in the ground big enough for the animal to fall in. And they cover it with branches and they cover it with leaves so that the animal would not know that there is a hole underneath these things. And then they will make a lot of noise and drive the animal towards that hole and the animal will fall into the hole. And then they will come, they will move the, 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 the branches and the leaves and then they will spear the animal to death and they will have meat for dinner that night. Now don't get me wrong, um, National Geographic never showed me a film where a silly hunter falls into his own trap. Perhaps the preacher is thinking of a trap that uh, he has dug a few years ago and uh, 
uh, the hunter had fallen into it himself because he has forgotten that the hole was there. He continues with the same thought in uh, the second part of verse 8. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. You see, friends, don't take things for granted. Just because if you are demolishing a demolisher of buildings and you have broken down hundreds of buildings, or you are a renovator and you have broken down walls and walls and walls, it doesn't mean that you, need, you have to be careless, you know. You have to be watch out. Be warned, for unpredictable things can happen. For who knows, the night before you break down that wall, a snake, a cobra, went behind that wall and hid there. And when disturbed by your demolishing, comes out and bites you in the face or something like that. So be warned, for the unpredictable things can happen in life. And the third example is given from verses 9 to 10. And recently we read about a disaster that happened to a crane driver working in a quarry in Para a few months ago. This guy has been working there for many years, so he's a very experienced guy. But uh, what he was doing was he was lifting rocks that has been blasted from the hill um, to possibly just the, the rock crusher to produce uh, rocks for making roads and so on. And perhaps on this one occasion, he did not pay attention to the instability of the rocks above him. And his work underneath these rocks caused those rocks to fall on his crane and him, thus crushing him instantly to death. Now, Solomon continues, Be watchful and don't take a lock to chop. He was possibly painting a picture of the same thing. Don't take a lock to chop. Be careful when you're doing that because if you pull out a lock from underneath a, a from the bottom of the pile of logs, the top of the logs will fall down on you and crush you to death. And uh, also he was warning about be wary of splinters that could fly up and hit you in the face or blind you in the eye. And he continues with the same thought. He said, you don't have to work so hard too if you keep your uh, axe sharpened. And so all these can be summarized and encapsulated into one simple statement. Never be complacent, but make careful preparations for your work. You'll make it less stressful and less dangerous for yourself. The preacher continues with the fourth example in verse 11. Having the skill to charm the snake does not guarantee success if the snake hit you first before you have a chance to charm it, right? Now, I'm not a snake charmer. I'm just uh, re repeating what I, I, I've read. And uh, I'm told from the literature that I read that the most common method of preventing danger to yourself uh, when uh, doing snake charming is possibly to defang the snake, number one. And no teeth cannot bite you, so uh, you are safe, right? Or the second thing is extract the venom from, from the fangs first. You can get a bite, but you won't die because there is no uh, poison in the bite. Or otherwise, someone, uh, some people <laughs> recommend that you first spray the snake with some smoke to make it drowsy so that when you, you play, play on your unti, uh, the fellow will, will swear according uh, to what you want it to do. What he wants to say is that the wise snake charmer prepares for his show before attempting to do it. Because if the snake bites you first before you charm it, then you are dead. So, at our labor, choose the wise way to do it so that you can do it in safety. But still, but 
<coughs> excuse me. But still, the preacher adds a note of action, uh, of caution. We are influenced by our rulers in all aspects of living, uh, whether we are wise or foolish at our work. Look down with me to verse uh, 15 to 17. And he says this, Woe to the nation when we have foolish and irresponsible rulers, but blessed are we when they are wise and sensible. But friends, you know what? No matter how human kings or rulers try, no matter how wise or loving they are, no human king can be like the one true king, Jesus Christ, the perfect king who loves us so much that he died for us. No one can be like him because we are all sinners. And the preacher now moves to the third big area of our lives, living and foolish talk. Now, people talk a lot. I think uh, most of us will agree. And we just have to sit and listen uh, at the tea terrace uh, after service and, or in the, uh, uh, in, the, in the courtyard and we'll hear people talking to each other and uh, making a lot of uh, conversation. And it's good because it builds up relations and it makes us know each other better and so on and so forth. Um, people talk a lot. Now, some people think that women talk more. But the women think there is a reason for it. Men. Now, there's this joke about a husband who told his wife that research has shown that men speak only about 20,000 words a day normally, but that uh, women speak about 40,000 words, double what the men says, the, the men uh, use. The wife agreed, and she gently turns around to the husband and said, this is because we have to repeat everything we say to you to make you understand. Oh, that's just a, a joke. You don't get it. It doesn't matter. But back to our passage. Wise words, he continues, wise words builds up our reputation. But listen to the second part of verse 12. The words of a fool will consume him. Now, friends, the preacher is now talking about, uh, he's telling us that not only does the action of a fool uh, condemn him as a fool, his foolish words may do even worse to him. For any respect uh, that people may still have for him is easily lost when he has a loose tongue and says silly things. So watch out, the preacher warns us. Uh, watch out for what we say, otherwise we will be consumed. Now James, writing in his epistle, a few chapters after what we read just now, after his exhortation for us to live uh, our lives faithfully, even though we undergo trials during this life, uh, he, he warns us about the tongue in the third chapter in verses 5 and 6. That the tongue is a small member of our body, yet it boasts of great things. And here in verse 14, the preacher says that the fool with his big mouth will even boast of what will be after he has died. He is predicting what will happen after he has died, as if he knows uh, what will come. It, though it's impossible for anyone to know. And so in verses 18 and 19, the preacher advises us, use the time in useful labor, especially in keeping the roof and other parts of the house in good repair. For how are we to enjoy the fruits of our labor, our food, our drink, and the money that can get us anything we want in a leaky and damp home? Uh, in the, our context in Kuala Lumpur, maybe imagine us trying to enjoy a TV dinner in front of our 70-inch 8K top model, uh, top-range Samsung 
while a chaos thunderstorm rages above our heads. And suddenly, in the middle of our show, uh, from National Geographic, the roof breaks open and the rain pours in onto our pizzas or our Kentucky Fried Chicken and causes our uh, top-range Samsung to blow up. And he says, Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. And bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. And he moves on now to the last verse, uh, verse 20, reminding us to be always mindful of our idle talk, for we do not know what idle tongue, tongue will carry modified forms of what we say uh, to other ears and cause problems for us. Rather, as Paul says and teaches us in Galatians 4 verse 6, Paul says, speak wisely. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And in his letter to, in his first letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 12, he says, reminding us that our speech is a key element of godly conduct. He says this to Timothy, let no man despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. I would like, just like to leave you with uh, one last but most important uh, quote, and this is taken from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he warns us in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 to 38, and let me read that to you. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. So as we come to the end of our passage, we can summarize everything that the preacher has said, uh, has taught here. In summary, it is that though everyone dies, we still have the choice to live wisely rather than foolishly. And the preacher has advised us to do this in three major areas of our lives. How to live with foolish rulers. Uh, secondly, how not to work foolishly. And thirdly, how not to indulge in idle and foolish talk. And while Solomon deals with wise living in this temporal life, he leaves us with some key issues for us to meditate on, uh, to ponder upon. And primarily, we must remember that all wisdom is derived from our God. In other words, God is the true source of wisdom. And in an otherwise vain and seemingly unpredictable and unfair and un, uh, unforeseeable uh, world in our life, God has given us this wisdom that would make it meaningful and worthwhile. So while Solomon focused mainly on how to play safe so as not to get into trouble, true and God-given wisdom lies in using this God-given wisdom to serve others and not just ourselves. And God has given us a supreme example of such selfless service. He has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago to take the form of a man and come down on earth so that he may suffer and, and take our sin upon himself on that cross so that believing in him, 
we may have eternal life. God has sent His Son to serve us in the only way that uh, He can to take sin away from us. And friends, knowing that Jesus is risen and ascended to be with the Father should inspire us to use this knowledge and wisdom to serve others just as He has served us. Life is hard, Solomon tells us throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And we know that though we might want to try uh, to live a good life, to live a wise life, most times we would fail. But true wisdom tells us that Jesus walks alongside with us, holding us up when we are down and strengthening, strengthening us when we are weak and cheering us on even when life seems so futile so meaningless, so vain, so unfair, so unpredictable. He cheers us on even when life seems to be like this. And for, for it is when we remember that we do not just serve ourselves, but a risen Savior that we can then apply all our God-given effort for Him and the furtherance of His kingdom, knowing that life is not in vain. For he walks with us and talks with us along life's narrow way. And helping us to look beyond this life to the glory that awaits us when he returns and takes us home to be with him forever. And surely, friends, this must be our vision. To point others beyond life's seemingly hopeless and useless vanity to Jesus Christ, our God, our Lord and our Saviour and to the glorious future that lies, that can only lie in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word to us today. We thank You for teaching us that life is not vanity, and that it doesn't end with our certain death, but that this is life that makes sense when we serve our risen Saviour. We know that this is not on our own wisdom and strength, but on the, the wisdom and strength of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you will help us to serve others as you have served us in your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.